0: On this episode, I'm introducing you to my three-step process to come to view stress in our personal and professional lives as the catalysts for our growth and to develop our resilience. We're going to do this by changing the mindset that we have about stress, intentionally interspersing stress with rest and recovery, and by purposefully soaking in these experiences to leverage neuroplasticity. Welcome to Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast with Stephanie Lee. On this show, we're going to talk about what it means to be a late Gen X or early millennial woman dipping her toes into midlife. I'm talking specifically to the woman who sees this stage of life as an opportunity to reflect on her life to date and to begin the second half with intentionality and purposefulness, whatever that may mean to her. Hello, and welcome to episode five of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I am going to ask a big favor of you right here at the top of the show. If you are enjoying this podcast and you think that it would be beneficial to others, please take a minute to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. I will tell you honestly, I listen to podcasts on Overcast and I have never taken the time to meander over to Apple Podcasts, to rate and review even shows that I love. I'm about to need to make up for that in a big way. Ratings and reviews are the way that people who are not already in my orbit following me on social media find out about this podcast and have it served up to them and their suggestions. So I would be very, very grateful if you would take the time to rate and review. If you're uncertain how to do so, I have a video on my site, and that's stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash podcast. The link will be in the description of this episode on whatever podcast app or YouTube that you're listening to. That video, which is titled How to Subscribe, actually shows you how to rate and review as well. So it's a step-by-step, very visual video. If you would take the time to, to rate and review, it would really mean the world to me. So thank you. And I actually do plan now to systematically go back and rate and review the podcasts that I've enjoyed over the years. They've been such a source of inspiration, and now I really understand what these ratings mean. So join me. If you leave a review, I may read it on the air. We'll see. I've seen some other podcasters do that. Feels a little awkward to me, but so does all of this, so I might do it anyway. On with the show. Thank you. On with the show. If you are listening today, you have a desire to live with intention. You know that more is available to you in your life and you want to take hold of it, but maybe you're tired and burned out and can't imagine how you would add something as big as living with intention to your already ridiculous to-do list. I really don't think that it's at all reasonable for me to talk to you about how to make changes in your life without providing you with the tools to create life with more ease now. So, why do we need to create more ease in the now? For a couple of reasons. Dangling the promise of change out in front of you without tackling your most immediate challenges is almost cruel. So, the burnout that you're experiencing has clouded your ability to assess your happiness with where you are now. It could be that working on what you're experiencing and getting back in control is the change that you need and want, rather than something external to change to give you happiness. In fact, I would suggest that this is the very best way, or at least the correct order, because what I don't want to inadvertently communicate to you is that if you change an aspect of your life or personality or your job or something else, that you will be able to create happiness from the change of those external factors. In fact, changing your circumstances, moving to a new career, a new place, a new person, unless you also make changes to yourself, you're only gonna take yourself with you and have the possibility of creating the same type of challenges there That you're experiencing here. So we're going to spend the next few episodes talking about stress and burnout and what to do about it. And our approach is going to be a little bit different perhaps than what you've heard before. So I'm going to introduce you to my three-step methodology to come to view the stress in our personal and professional lives as catalysts for our own growth to develop our resilience. And we're gonna do this by changing the mindset that we have about stress, intentionally interspersing stress with rest and recovery, and by purposefully soaking in these experiences to leverage neuroplasticity. For about two years, I had the opportunity to practice Bikram yoga in a traditional Bikram studio until unfortunately it closed last year. Bikram is a 90 minute yoga practice that consists of 26 postures or asanas and two breathing exercises. So it's the same practice every time, the same postures in the same order. One of the uniquenesses of Bikram is that between each of the postures is a period of rest. If you're not familiar with yoga, but you've seen people practicing yoga and just lying on their backs on the floor, this is what I'm talking about. The first 13 postures are performed standing, and the second are performed on the floor. You practice each posture for about 90 seconds or so, and you're working to get into the posture at an appropriate level to develop strength. And then you stand in what is called a standing savasana, which is corpse pose. For like 30 seconds, it's during those 30 seconds that your body is creating the benefits from the posture that you just performed. And when you're doing the floor poses, you're laying down flat on the floor for your savasana and same thing. It's that period of rest. So similar to that, I'm sure that many of you know, or you've heard, or you've read on a meme online, muscle is not built in the gym, muscle is built in bed. After the reps in the gym, which break down the muscle, the muscle is rebuilt stronger during our sleep. In both cases, with Bikram, with weightlifting, the strain, the challenge, is a part of growing stronger. You don't create fitness in the actual 26 Bikram poses, and you don't build muscle during the curls, you create fitness and muscle during the savasana, during the rest. But the work is needed before the rest in order for you to build the muscle. So it is with stress. We have been taught, certainly as long as I can remember, about how bad stress is for our mental, emotional, and physical health. It will kill you. And if you think you know how dangerous it is, you're wrong. It's worse. So we have received warnings, but for many of us, stress is unavoidable. We've just believed it's something we're going to have to endure for a season or seasons. Hopefully it won't do untold damage while we're barreling through these years of paying our dues professionally, demonstrating our value to the partners, or having young children, operating on little sleep. So we braced for stress and we braced against it. And we've prayed that the cost wouldn't be too high. We have done what we could to mitigate the effects. We have learned how to meditate, use breathing strategies, taking yoga, laid on the couch watching Netflix, worked out, or practice any and all varieties and strategies to manage our stress because stress was the enemy and feeling stress, that feeling of stress in our bodies was harmful. And I have certainly done this. I've been worried about stress being under consistent stress, and I've worried about that wired or electrified feeling in my body. And I've tried to soothe and calm it away with soothing music or deep breaths or hot bath. I've talked it out I've worked it out, I've pushed it away. But what if we looked at stress more like lifting weights at the gym or actually performing those Bikram postures? What if we looked at it as the way that we learned and cultivated stamina and resilience? What if stress has the ability to help us grow and develop instead of breaking us down? And actually, there is a very good reason to look at stress this way. I'm not making this up or just simply putting a positive spin on it. There is a body of evidence now that suggests that the way that we think about stress truly makes the difference as to whether it's harmful to our bodies and minds or ultimately beneficial to our bodies and minds. I have to tell you, I'm a mindset coach. And so I am already in a camp of people who think that what we think and the way we think does indeed make all the difference. Even so, this research about stress that we're going to discuss is just knock your socks off wildly compelling. So the first step of a three-step process that we're going to learn to turn burnout into resilience is how to change our mindsets about stress. And the good news is that you don't actually have to be totally bought into this idea for it to make a difference. Think about the small wins that we talked about in the last episode, but we're also going to talk about research that shows just exposure to a different way of thinking about stress can make a difference, even while you're still skeptical. There is another aspect, though, to the examples that we talked about today, both with Bikram and with weightlifting. And that is the prominent and crucial role of rest in order to benefit and grow. So how do you rest from stress? We've talked about some of the usual ways on the podcast before. Those things that all of us gravitate to. Vegging out, watching Netflix, having a drink, eating that indulgent dessert that we love. For me, when I'm really tired from stress, It's embarrassing because I feel like I'm saying this a lot on the podcast now, but I lay on the couch and watch TV. I eat, specifically chips and salsa, although lately also queso. Only at my very best would I say that I run my stress away, and it's just not happening a lot right now. So is this kind of rest actually serving me? It's certainly doing something. I do feel less dead, and my mind is not so garbled. But how many times do you, if you're the kind that can be lazy like me and lay on the couch and watch TV, how many times do you actually not feel all that great afterward? We generally know the kind of rest that we need after a workout. We've gotta sleep. But after cognitive work or emotional stress, do we know how to rest effectively in a way that restores our body and mind? And as importantly, when do you rest from stress? I have always been a save the best for last girl. Do your homework and then you can play. Eat the things that you like on your plate least and then save the best for last. And this is not a recipe for weight loss, I'm just saying. So for me though, working and hitting it hard makes sense. Maybe then I'll get done early. How often does that actually happen, by the way? I still remember my first full-time boss telling us in the office that we shouldn't schedule breaks. You know, those that you're allotted after four hours of work. We shouldn't schedule breaks as full-time employees because we were chatting and talking in the office during our workday. What we called breaks were just sprinkling in of occasional personal comments or aside or conversations. But somewhere along the way, Somewhere along the way, I think I may have internalized this and have begun to look askance at the idea that I would need to take a break in a morning of work. If we're working out, specifically if we're lifting weights, we know that we need to take a rest between sets. Of course we do. We can do another set, but if we keep going, we're going to peter out. Likewise, most people actually have a limited amount of time that they can engage, truly engage on focused work. The maximum is actually about 90 minutes, 90 minutes. But we work for longer than 90 minutes at a stretch all the time, right? Sure, but do we? I would suggest that we, like me, in my first full-time job in a registrar's office, were working with the occasional distraction thrown in Assuming we have our notifications silenced and we're not responding to every ding of the email, which I hope we're all doing by now, do we still check our email maybe every 10 minutes or so? Or is it actually closed on our computers? We might not be taking a break, but we are taking our brain away from focus, and that task switching consumes a huge amount of energy. Or do we pick up our phone, scroll social for a few minutes? flip over to Amazon and order that thing we've been meaning to for the last several days and never thought about. I think these types of activities may also make us feel guilty enough and like we haven't been truly working enough to convince us we've actually taken a break. We don't need an actual formal break and we don't actually deserve one. I'm gonna tell you in a future episode how by working in this fashion, we are neither as effective as we might be in our work, nor are we resting effectively. So we are losing on both ends. We're gonna be spending the next several weeks talking about this. So it'll be a couple weeks before we return to rest. In the meantime, I would suggest that you notice your work habits. How often do you engage? in truly focused work. How often do you take breaks? What do you do if you take a break? What would I see if I was peering through your office window? What do you do when you need a bigger or longer break or rest in the evening, on the weekend, maybe a vacation? Okay, the third step to turn burnout into resilience is to learn to soak in the good. Now, what on earth do I mean by that? Rick Hansen, a psychologist, teacher, and co-host of the Being Well podcast, which I will link in the show notes, says that our brains are Teflon for good things and Velcro for the bad. This tendency towards Velcro for the bad things is one of those things that lingers around from when life was more primitive. If you paid attention to the negative things, you were more safe and lived to tell the tale. This way that our brain's function is called a negativity bias, and we all have it. I want to stress that again, because in the circles that I run in, I think our brain's negativity bias can sometimes sound like a moral issue. You're a negative person. But actually, your brain's negativity bias just is. But knowing that, you get to decide what you want to do about it. What this negativity bias means practically is if I'm at the end of my day and I'm recollecting it, maybe to my husband, maybe in a phone call on the car on the way home, I'm likely to remember and recount what was disappointing, what didn't go as planned, what irritated and frustrated me. And it's not because I'm a negative person. It's because that's what my brain thinks is important to help me make decisions in the future. And I wanna stress this because as we think about growing and changing, what I'm going to suggest to you is that it's much easier for us to grow and change from a place of kindness. But that when we begin judging ourselves thinking there's something wrong with us for being negative, it actually makes it much harder for us to shift out of that negativity. Whereas if we can just recognize this is actually how our brains function, it's much easier to develop practices to create more positivity in our lives. So when we're in the car recounting all of the things that have gone wrong during the day, we are retraveling well-trod neural pathways for negative things. This is just default though. These are our factory settings. We can update our factory settings to better serve us. Unfortunately, it isn't as easy as changing a setting, but getting started really isn't all that challenging. You can intentionally take in and briefly savor the good in order to give those neural pathways, those positive neural pathways, a bit more traffic and begin to make them more habitual or at least more easily accessible. I have a good friend, Emily, who hiked the Appalachian Trail and my brother and his wife, Christine, backpack. I do neither of these things, but I have heard about them. If you go hiking and you have to clear the trail each time you go, it's harder. I've heard, I've never cleared a trail. But if you use a trail that has been used lots of times before you, it's safer, it's smoother, it's easier, it requires less work. The easier, smoother paths in your brain are those that have been cleared by your negativity bias. But you can learn to neglect those trails, to allow them to become overgrown, while purposefully, And yes, effortfully, clearing new trails to savor good things. So to apply this idea of turning burnout into resilience, I'm going to present you with recent research that was conducted by Dr. Hansen that I referenced regarding taking in the good or wiring positive neuroplasticity. And talk about not only how to leverage these strategies generally to savor more positive experiences, which has value in and of itself, but to specifically savor and recognize the good feelings and sensations and satisfaction of periods of focused work and to notice the benefits of rest. Both rest during the day and more long-term rest. We're going to do this for a couple of reasons. Living an intentional life is about being present for it. When yogis are practicing Bikram or folks are lifting weights, The rest is intentional, it's planned, it's part of the training. Coming home and being overwhelmed and needing to unwind is a habit. Changing the way that you operate during the day can give you some relief, but less if you come home and slip right back into the same habits. And it's super easy to forget the value of those breaks you took during the day and how that felt and how it actually felt to engage in focused work. So we are simply going to begin to identify and find small ways to practice noticing how it feels to engage in focused work and how it feels to rest. So I have to tell you, I'm so excited about this topic and I'm excited about it because I want us to develop resilience. Burnout doesn't exist just because of work stress. Burnout exists because of the many stresses that we encounter in our lives. Financial stress, lost jobs, uncertainty about the future, disappointment, disillusionment, loss, and other hurts. And these things are going to continue to happen. That's a certainty. I talked on episode three about my own story and the waking up that I experienced as a result of the loss of my mother-in-law. One of my insights from that season was certainly that my life would continue to involve loss and pain. And I did not want a part of me to be chipped away with every loss I experienced. I wanted a way to develop resilience. I'm also excited about this topic because I believe that it's effective. I've already seen results in small ways. After reading about viewing stress as enhancing and actually leaning into the stress, I test drove this perspective recently when I presented for several hours at a conference. I told myself that my nerves weren't anxiety, they were excitement, and my body was preparing me to show up, be fully present and tuned in. And that I knew what I was sharing with these people was important and would help them, and I was delighted to have the opportunity. Not only did I feel less anxious in the moment, but I felt more confident and I believe I actually recovered from the experience more quickly than previous speaking engagements. I'm also excited about this because I think it's a great opportunity for you to find some nuggets, some small practices that work for you and apply what we talked about in episode four in terms of small wins to get yourself some relief these strategies that we're talking about lend themselves to being stepping stones. You don't have to be all in or remodel your entire way of being and engaging with stress and work for them to be effective. So over the course of the next three episodes, we'll spend one episode each week discussing the three strategies that I introduced you to. And that's changing our mindset that we have about stress next week, The following week, we'll talk about how to intentionally intersperse our stress with rest and recovery, what that looks like, different types of rest and the timing of that rest. And in the third episode, we'll talk about how we can purposefully soak in these experiences and leverage that neuroplasticity. To that point, finding ways to reduce your burnout, to change your perspective, may begin to give you back some of you at the end of the day. Just watch for it and notice. Are you a little more relaxed, more present with your spouse, your kids? Maybe you begin to notice a little bit of boredom because you're not quite so tired and realize you could do something this evening just for fun. This is our goal to create a bit more margin for you around the edges or in pockets of your day for you to connect with yourself and be able to get some clarity about what you want from the second half of your life. Go to stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash episode five and find not only the show notes for this episode, but a link to the worksheet with some questions that you could use to apply what we've talked about to your own life. Use them as journal prompts, read them before taking a walk and give them some thought, or fill it out as a worksheet. That is Stephanie com forward slash episode five. The link is in the description of whatever app you are listening or watching in. Thank you for sticking with me through the fifth episode of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. I do hope you will join me back here on your favorite podcast player for our next episode. We are also over at YouTube. Wherever you do listen, please do like and subscribe. Tell your friends. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you're enjoying it, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really does help others to find the show. Have a great week. And I can't wait to chat with you again soon. Bye.